sound, gentle listeners, is the sound of Oslo train station, where we might be beginning our journey tonight on our way to Grimstad, Norway, to meet with Nernja Err. I've got to say that this is one of my favourite episodes that I've ever recorded. The beers are amazing. Unfortunately, we're already sold out on our online store, uh, which is a real reminder to make sure that you get on our mailing list so that you don't miss out on future tasting packs that accompany our live events and these podcasts. Uh, the beers are amazing. The conversation to come is amazing. Uh, we always ask that you follow us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram and that you uh, rate and review and subscribe to the podcast. But if you enjoy today's episode, a special appeal to suggest to one of your friends that they tune in and have a listen. Uh, we're really trying to spread the word about what we're doing. It means that we get to talk to some amazing breweries both around Australia and more broadly around the world. One of the ways that we get to do that is by demonstrating just how many listeners we have. So share it with your friends uh, and share the excitement of this great insightful episode. Uh, one, as I say, that I think is right up there amongst our very best. Without any further ado, let's get on with the show and learn how to pronounce Nunya Er correctly. Well, as we said in the introduction, it's an incredibly exciting night here in Melbourne, Australia. It's a very exciting morning, I'm sure, in Grimstad in Norway. Uh, we're sitting down with Martin Flip from, uh, well, Martin, let's get straight to the chase. How should I pronounce the name of the brewery? Uh, well, traveling around the world, I've heard it pronounced so many different ways. Uh, but in Norwegian, we say Nørkne. I will do uh, my best to keep saying that all night. I've pronounced it many different ways over the years. I can promise you that. Uh, the the most common in English is Nogni O, uh, but it's Nogni O, and it's uh, it's uh, old Norwegian or Danish. And well, let's cut to the chase. What what does it mean, and why is the brewery called that? Uh, so in the start of the the brewery, when uh, it was founded back in two thousand and two, there was actually a uh, big discussion uh, at the at the brewery what we should be named and we wanted a, a local name uh, that uh, resembles or, or ties us to our hometown which is Grimsta and uh, one of uh, our most famous authors and, and playwriters Henry, Henrik Ibsen uh, used to live down here and um, he got inspiration uh, of a poem called uh, Talia Vegan and it's about this uh, grumpy old man that sits out on a bare naked island uh, so it means naked island and it, it plays on uh, the archipelago outside our town where all these barren naked islands are uh, so yeah it means naked island and it uh, it uh, comes from the poem talia vegan of henrik ibsen and it's funny because in my last year of school, I studied Henrik Ibsen. I think he wrote The Dollhouse. I think am I right in saying is a play that many people in Australia will be familiar with. I never thought all those years ago that it would be knowledge that would be useful for me 30 years later doing a beer interview. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so we... Uh, we play a lot uh, with the maritime uh, features in our beers. Like uh, a lot of every barrel aged beer from Nogna has a nautical themed name. And we've got many beers in our packs. So I should say we've got 
a couple of magnificent tasting packs uh, that we've managed to send out. It's enormous thanks uh, both to the brewery and also Phoenix Beers, who import uh, the brewery into Australia, uh, that we've had such an awesome array of beers. I think we've had 14, 16 different beers all up, and many of them featuring those nautical names. The ones that we're going to be officially tasting tonight from that tasting pack are going to be the Old Salt Tavern, the South Coast, and then the Two Captains. So make sure you've got those if you're uh, going to enjoy this podcast or the live event to its fullest. Uh, And normally I would say go to our Shopify and find those beers. We sold out of those beers a long time ago, which is testament to your popularity in Australia. Uh, And all the more reason why people should follow us and you on all the social medias. But we'll talk more about that as we go along. Um, It's a huge honour for us to have you on the show tonight. Uh, Can you paint us... Well, you were saying before, we we can't see out of the windows behind you as we sit here on Zoom. But you're, as we sit in Melbourne in early autumn, you're enjoying perhaps the last snow flurry of Norwegian winter? That's correct. It's uh, when I woke up today, there was white uh, outside and a snowstorm. So it took me a bit longer to get to work today, uh, following the the snow plowers and stuff like that. But uh, hopefully it's the last. It's just, uh, it seems like Norway is getting ready for Easter, which is a huge vacation for us here. Everybody goes up to the mountain and enjoys the last bit of snow before the summer comes so it's uh, it just seems uh, norway is getting ready 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 for easter and it's uh, yeah the last snow of the year most likely and so, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about the town that you're in i say town respectfully because it's a relatively small population it's it's not like you're in one of the capital cities or anything like that is it no uh so uh, in norway it's quite weird uh if you have more than 6,000 um, people staying there. It's called a, a, a town or a city mm-hmm. in Norway. Uh, but um, in where we are from, we are the uh, on the southern part of Norway. Uh, we are the closest uh, town to Denmark, actually. Mm. And uh, it's the most sunny city in all of Norway, which is good. But there's around, during winter, there's around 20,000 citizens in the town. And in mm-hmm. summer, it uh, doubles. So it's around 40,000. Because a lot of a lot of people from Oslo and, and Bergen, Stavanger, has their summer houses down here. Uh, that makes sense, because it was the 20,000 number that I'd seen, except some of those pictures made it look, you know, that little bit more sort of busy. And tell us about the brewery a little bit. If we were visiting today, how big is it? whereabouts in town is it paint us a little bit of a picture if you will about so uh when we first started the brewery back in 2002 we actually started in a garage uh, in in uh, the middle of town uh but we quickly outgrew that when we signed a deal with uh, the shelton brothers in the u.s uh, our production uh, yeah went 10 times bigger uh, so we rented this old power station that was built in 1913 Mm. Uh, so we're right on the river by the new dam. Um, so we we uh, rented two two uh, floors in in the, this old old power station, and then in 2012 we actually bought the entire building. Uh, but uh, we outgrew the building back in um, uh, well, uh, first time we outgrew it was in 12, and then we bought the building, and then we outgrew it again in 15. 
So then uh, we went to the municipality and asked if we can buy the neighboring lots to actually build a production facility. Uh, and they they actually said no, because uh, the new power station is underneath us. So um, if we were to blow out the the mountain to uh, build a foundation, they were afraid that we will uh, would blow through and get into the tunnels. Yep. And then we would basically flood the entire town. Uh, but yeah, it's an important the, thing not to do. I can understand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, on the other side of the river is this, another municipality called Arendal. And there was an open lot there. So the, the council of Arendal called us and said that we could actually get that lot for free. Uh, and they would actually help us build the foundation as well um, if we moved the company name and address over to the mm. other municipality. And then, like, yeah, 10 minutes later, basically, the Grimsta municipality called us back and said, hey, we were just kidding with you guys. Of course, you can <laughs> blow. You can build. Just please don't leave. Because we pay so much in taxes to the municipality, uh, alcohol taxes uh, to the municipality we were in. So we were actually allowed to build. So we uh, built a brand new production facility next door to the old power station. So we do all of our clean beers uh, in there and it's actually built to be a brewery. And then our old building, where uh, the building I'm in now, uh, we built a welcome center and uh, we have around 400 barrels. Uh, so we do all our sours and our barrel aging program is on this side. So it's the wild side and the clean side, basically. <laughs> And tell us about the visitor center. Like if we were walking in today and just got off the got off the bus, what would we experience? Just set us up as though we we're about to spend an hour or two with you in that visitor center. Um, so it's uh, about ten minutes outside town. So you would uh, in summer uh, there is the tourist center. You can rent bicycles and uh, ride your bike up here. Uh, if not that, you would drive or take a taxi, uh, you would come uh, and you would walk in between the new and the old building around and uh, come into the bar uh, where it's uh, reclaimed wood from a old, uh, the old high school gym floor <laughs> that we built uh, the bar out of and the floors and everything. And then we have these gorgeous, huge windows uh, overlooking the barrel room where we have around 400 barrels. So we would start there. Uh, I would go through the history of the brewery, uh, how we started and uh, how we uh, grew. And then I would guide you into the clean site and we would stop at the, um, uh, the mill uh, and talk about our malt because we use uh, a malt called uh, Maris Otter as our house malt, mm -hmm. uh, which is 20% uh, more expensive than Pilsner malt, but we think it gives our beer uh, uh, more of a body. So we've always used Mary's Otter from Thomas Fawcett in Leeds. Uh, and then we will taste our porter, uh, which is the seventh uh, highest rated, or uh, uh, it was voted the seventh best porter in the world. So we talk about the grain and, and what the grain actually does for the beer. It's the most important ingredients because it's where the alcohol sugar comes from. And then after that, we will walk up to the mezzanine and uh, taste our IPA while overlooking the brew house. And there we talk about the brewing uh, itself and also hops and our uh, India Pale Ale, which started the beer revolution in Norway in 2003. Um, 
Then we walk over the bridge into the old building, the second floor, where we have our cool ship room. It's a room that we've used. Uh, we have a huge cool ship in there, and then the walls are decorated with old barrels. It also has the mezzanine with the dried hops, the traditional Belgian way. Uh, and in there, we talk about, of course, wild yeast, and uh, we taste our sours. And then um, uh, I also have 15 minutes where I talk and rant about the Norwegian alcohol laws, which are <laughs> super, super strict. Um, um, we'll make sure we include that tonight. So let's... Yeah. And then after that, we walk down into the basement alongside all the barrels, and we taste a uh, heavy stout, usually around 15%. And we talk about barrel aging and uh, the fact that the reason we were still considered one of the best breweries in the world is our barrel program and our heavy stouts. Um, so yeah, that's uh, usually around uh, an hour and 15 minutes, uh, depending on the guests, if because it's an open tasting. So the more questions, the more fun it will take uh, or the more fun it will be and the longer it will take. So between an hour and 15 and two hours it will take around the brewery. And then after that, we open the bar and you can hang out and drink all the specialties and yeah, uh, talk with us and, and stuff like that. Well, Usually when we do... When we do bigger events uh, at the brewery, we will hire uh, students to stand behind the bar so we don't have to do it so that we can actually talk to the people that are interested in us. So we free up resources to be able to to talk to everybody, basically. I think that's an excellent little way to, to set the scene for what we're going to do in one sense virtually tonight as we spend roughly that amount of time. And again, make sure you have the chat feature option open. It's fantastic to be joined live in Zoom by so many fans. Type in your questions and we can answer those as we go along. It's a, a great way to be part of it. Um, before we get underway with talking about this particular beer, the ESB, can I just ask, just for Australians, but we have listeners from around the world, particularly in America and the UK, can you just describe how the Norwegian beer scene is going and how maybe it's changed over the last 20 years or so? So it's, um, it all started with, uh, with uh, our founders or our founder, Shetty. He uh, worked as an airline pilot for SAS and uh, he f flew the long hauls from, from Europe to the US. And every time he was in New York and Boston, he came across so many different beers. Uh, there was porters, IPAs, blondes, Vits, uh, stouts, just a crazy amount of different styles and different flavors. And when he came back to Norway, there was a Pilsner from Ringnes or a Pilsner from, from Hansa, the two main macro breweries in Norway. And if, if he was really lucky, he could probably find an old Guinness somewhere. So he wanted to do something with this. Uh, so what he did was he figured out that he could actually fit 20 kilos of uh, uh, grains in his cabin suitcase. <laughs> so he would smuggle uh, grain from the U.S. to Norway to brew in his basement. Um, and all of his friends were like, this is amazing. This is so good. You should uh, enter into competitions and, and spread your knowledge. So he entered into a home brewing competition and uh, he came um, 12th uh, out of 13. And the judges basically told him that the beer he had presented could not be called a beer because it was not clear and see-through and didn't have white foam on top. 
Um, this is my marketing manager. <laughs> Just uh, making sure that. Oh, yeah. Hello, marketing then, manager. Uh, Welcome to Australia. And this is our CEO. Welcome. Hello, Australia. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful Thank to have you. you on board. I'm not sure whether they can hear us or can you, can they only, are you the only one who can hear because of your headphones? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the marketing manager just wanted to uh, uh, take a picture uh, uh, of me. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, so he came uh, uh, 12th and the judges said, this is not a, basically what they said, this is not a Pilsner. So it's not qualified as beer. And he got so angry that he said, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going to start my own brewery. And I'm going to show the Norwegian people that you can drink something else. Uh, that beer that uh, entered into that competition is now 20 years later, Norway's third most sold uh, IPA uh, at uh, the state-run wine monopoly mm. in, in Norway. And uh, yeah, so he managed to do what he set out to do. Uh, and uh, we were the sixth brewery in Norway. And now 20 years later, there's over 200 breweries. That's a pretty amazing transformation. Uh, how does it sort of feel to be part of an organisation which has changed the face of the country's brewing? It's a that's that's amazing. Uh, like uh, I'm really proud to be at uh, Nørgnø. I've been here for almost seven years now, and um, sure, we've uh, had our ups and downs, like all breweries. And and when we were acquired by uh, a larger brewery in 2013, there was a lot of uh, people uh, talking basically smack about us and saying that we would lose our ways and that we become we would become a, a boring brewery and that the that uh, the the brewery that bought us would destroy us. But the opposite happened and. Uh, that it just gave us the stability to grow and continue to be uh, one of the world's best breweries. And um, they didn't uh, acquire us to change us. They acquired us because we're good. And uh, of course, they don't want to change us at all because uh, that would uh, lose our, our, our way. Absolutely. Let's, let's talk about the old Salt Tavern. Yep. Uh, first of all, there will be lots of, we're going to talk about some IPAs and American IPAs later. Most people are familiar with those styles. Some people won't be as familiar with ESBs. Can you explain a little bit what the style is and how this beer represents that style? So uh, at uh, Nergner, we are quite traditionalists when it comes to our beers. Um, and our head brewer, Ed, he really loves the old styles. And in Norway, in, if you go to the state-run uh, Monopoly store, there's only one, one uh, ESB, extra special bitter, and uh, it's Fuller's. Um, so our head brewer basically said Norway deserves its own uh, ESB. So uh, we uh, brewed uh, Old Soul Tavern. A couple of years ago, we had a beer uh, just called Bitter in Norway. Uh, and was four and a half percent, but it didn't sell because of the name. A lot of people thought it was going to be super bitter, so it it basically just died on the shelf. Mm -hmm. But a uh, 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 extra special bitter is not necessarily a bitter beer. It's just a bit more bitter than a pale ale, um, or a bit more bitter than a, a pilsner. It has uh, thirty IBUs. So IBUs, international bitter units, uh, it basically goes from zero to one hundred. Where one hundred is the most bitter. Zero is not bitter at all. 
And uh, what what we at Nogna do really well with our beers is the balance between the, the bitterness and the sweetness. But this um, extra special bitter, it's a classic English uh, beer. What I do uh, usually say in my tastings, if uh, if you ever go to England and lick the ground, it will taste like an extra special bitter in a way. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, if you go to the pub in England and you order a pint, it's most often uh, bitter you'll get in your glass. So it's super super traditional English. Um, a classic uh, ESB. Uh, it's uh, it has characteristics uh, of uh, the grain and biscuits. Uh, caramel um, and yeah it's just a super classic beer it pairs excellent with fish and chips um, yeah it's uh, uh, the bubbles are uh, more like a champagne a bit smaller bubbles in our ESB um, and uh, yeah it's a beer style that doesn't really do well in Norway but that's where we come in we try uh, and we've done it so many times before to change the way Norwegians drink their beers. So we're trying it again with the ESB. Uh, this is a lovely beer. It's a style that I love. And again, some people say you can drink all every beer any time of the year. But for me in autumn, this is a beautiful beer to be uh, drinking the caramel flavours you described, but also some of that super ripe stone fruit. It just It just sort of screams, this is sort of the end of summer, the beginning of autumn. Uh, these flavors are, are beautiful to be drinking right now in Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's an excellent beer. And uh, the price points, uh, we've set a price point really low on this beer to basically try and get people to pick it off the shelf at the state-run Monopoly. And uh, if we sell manage to sell more than 12,000 liters, I think it is, it will qualify into a category and they would have to have it in the shelves. Now let's let's discuss that because for those of us in Australia, I know you, you've been itching for your opportunity to talk about the Norwegian alcohol rules. But when you talk about the state-run store and things like that, for us in Australia, we have nothing that we can relate that to. So, can you explain a little bit about how that process works and why it's important to to qualify to get into a store like that? Uh, so um, you have uh, all alcohol over the. Um... Uh, percentage of 4.75% has to be sold at a state-run liquor store. So the state owns, owns the liquor stores and everybody that works there are, are employees of the state of Norway. It's super strict. We are not allowed to talk to them, basically. Uh, I can't go into a store and sell my product. It has to go through the proper channels. Um and it's uh, basically divided into seven different categories. So you have the category seven is the, the larger uh, cities. And category seven has to have all the um, uh, alcohol in all the other different categories, basically. So if you're a category one, you're basically out in the boondocks and you have to have one beer, one red wine, uh, one white wine, one vodka, basically. And then... Category two has to have all that in category one and then its own, and then it goes down. So we are basically a, a category five brewery. So we will come into category five. So, so a lot of the stores has to carry our brands, but uh, it's uh, so 
when we first release it, it's on. Uh, they have to take our all of our beers, basically. But if it doesn't sell, it doesn't qualify into the categories. Uh, so what we're trying to do is, uh, if we manage to come with a heavy hitter and it sells well, it uh, they have to put it into one of these categories, and all these stores has to carry it, and then it gets uh, it gets uh, protected for a year. Uh, and then it has to re-qualify at the end of the year. Um, so, but it's it's a really good thing because uh, <clears throat> the grocery stores in Norway are family owned. So it's basically money talks. You have to buy your way into the gro grocery stores and it's dominated by Heineken, Carlsberg, uh, Ringnes, Hansa Olde, Makro, Pilsners. And for a small brewery like us, it's hard to compete because we can't buy uh we can't uh, we don't have enough money to compete with the big guys so you won't see any cold craft beer in norway it's all on the shelf because all the macro pilsner breweries buy the space the cold space um but at the monopoly it's state-owned so everybody uh has a right to sell their beers there and it's basically if you if it sells it qualifies so that makes uh sure that uh, we have a lot of good different breweries in Norway that can sell their beers because it's not operated on on who has the more more money, which is excellent for uh, for the selection of beers in Norway. And it also makes sure that there is a lot of good breweries in Norway. Like we, what we in Norway say, say uh, our competition isn't a different brewery; it's bad beer. Mm. Right. So we would love to have all these breweries, amazing breweries doing all these great beers. That's just going to uh, push us to be, become better. It's going to push them to become better. And it will end up with our consumers having a better beer. So, uh, yeah, we, we love that uh, there's such diversity in the breweries in Norway. One of the many Davids in the Zoom room right now asked a question a little bit earlier on about sort of traditional Norwegian beer styles before all those macro lagers took over was there a traditional Norwegian beer style that predated those I guess a bit like an ESB is a very traditional English style or has it always been lagers and things like that and spirits perhaps to so we have a long history of alcohol in, in Norway uh, from all the way back to the Viking age when they brewed uh, different types of beer, but they also brewed, uh, brewed uh, mead. Um, and uh, what they did was basically the, uh, the farms in Norway has continued this tradition. So it's uh, basically brewed under open flame and uh, they would uh, have a magical stick in the top of their barn roof and when the, the beer was uh, cold enough that you could fit your elbow into the, the, the worth, yep. uh, it was uh, a time to take the magic stick from the roof and twirl it around. And then you would transfer into the vessel for fermentation. They didn't know what fermentation was at the time, of course. So what they did was gauking. Uh, so they would yell inside the barrel to uh, make sure the, uh, the evil spirits disappeared. So it's called goking. And then, um, so basically what happened was that in Norway, we uh, made a dry yeast and it's called kveik. Uh, 
-hmm. And uh, when we took this magical stick or the, the, the circle and dipped it in there, the yeast started being activated at around 30 degrees Celsius. So quake is a yeast style that will uh, that you can ferment out at 37 degrees Celsius and it will take you six days from the time you brew the beer until it's done. It's crazy. And down south, uh, like Denmark, Germany, Czech, they used wet yeast um, and uh, Savisia 1 and 2 that Carlsberg discovered. Uh, it's two, basically the two main beer yeast strains, but then in 2015, we discovered that Quake is its own strain. So it's the third yeast strain, which is pretty, pretty cool. Uh, so this is a traditional brewing technique in Norway, where uh, basically you just heat up the beer till around 70 degrees to kill off the bacteria. And then you ferment with uh, with Quake and it's done in eight days. It would have, uh, it's a bit more thicker than a classic pale ale, I would say, because you keep a lot of the proteins when you don't boil it away. Uh, and we at Nergner, uh, two of our best sellers are raw ales uh, where we use traditional brewing techniques, but with a modern twist. So all of our New England style IPAs is basically a Norwegian traditional beer that we've dry hopped. So it's a raw ale. Uh, so we're bringing back a lot of these traditional brews in, into the Norwegian scene. Uh, we have a series just called Raw, and it's uh, the way they brewed back, uh, the way the Vikings brewed. Of course, we do it on our system, which is modern and stuff like that, but it's... it's uh, our head brewer loves the traditional uh, Norwegian ways to brew. Does the head brewer yell into the vat before he, you know, just to get things started and to get rid of the bad spirits? Because that sounds to me like a pretty important part of the process. Uh, we do it uh, when we do the traditionals. And uh, of course, if we do collaborations, I was just down in Amsterdam and did a collaboration where I brought the yeast, uh, the quake yeast with me. And I stuck my head in and uh, did the yelling. Good. Alongside like their that. head brewers. So we definitely do it on all collaborations. Um, and we, uh, yeah, if there's people at the brewery, we do it. Um, if it's just Ed or Tula uh, doing it, <laughs> yeah, maybe they think about it, but yeah. If there's no uh, one there to, if there's no one there to see us, did they really yell? No one really knows the question. Or the exactly. Answer, right. So. Exactly. Uh, that's wonderful. It's one of my favorite descriptions. Can I say, first of all, of the brewing process, as it must have started in various places around the world. It must have been various similar things. Uh, but also of the Kvike yeast, which in Australia has become more and more popular amongst craft brewers probably in the last four or five years. And we see much more of it happening down here. Uh, and All I over think, the world. Well, I think particularly for Australian conditions, it, it makes sense with that higher temperature uh, operability it's it's really interesting to see how that works but what's what what is so crazy is that when you use this quake especially the the Voss strain it gives off uh, uh tropical flavors and we're from the cold cold north so that's that's uh pretty crazy um and it's fun uh and uh, the university in Toronto with Richard Price just got a grant to to do more research on Norwegian berries. It's it's pretty it's pretty cool, and it it's uh, yeah it's in Australia, it's in the U.S., Canada. There's uh, Brazilian breweries uh, brewing with uh, this uh, yeast strain. It's it's pretty awesome. And uh, it was Lars Marius Garshul that started writing about it in 2015. So it's only been around for 
in commercial brewing for about eight years. And we were the first commercial brewery to ever use it. Well, yeah. and I think we've got in our tasting packs tonight. I should say very soon we're going to move on to the south coast so people should get their glasses and their beers ready for that. But I think we have the uh, the telemark. So we've got some beers that are very distinctively uh, about making the, the Kvark yeast the centre stage, don't we, in the tasting pack. So, Yeah. Um, let's start to move on then towards the south coast. But before we do that, the Old Salt Tavern... You were talking yep. before about maritime names. I'm yep. presuming this is a maritime name as well, with an old salt. Uh, no, uh, not. Uh, and this is this is not a barrel aged beer. So uh, it's only the our barrel aged series that has the maritime, the nautical themed. Oh. What, what does old salt mean to you? Because old salt uh, to me is maritime. Okay, uh, well, it is in, in a way, but uh, the tavern. So old salt tavern. It's uh, a fictional. Uh, restaurant chain that Ed uh, thought up. Um, uh, if he ever went to England to have a beer, he would uh, most likely end up in a bar called Old Soul Tavern and, and enjoy this beer. So that's where the name comes from. Do you know what an old salt is? In no. In, so to me, an old salt is an old navy man. So someone who's worked in the navy for a long time and therefore has a lot of salt. Ah. On so an old salt is like a a very experienced sailor. So That's can... probably what uh, what Ed uh, had uh, had uh, in his mind when he named that beer, but he never told me that story. <laughs> well, then, now you can go back and ask him and be more informed, or at least say in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. that's a very that's a very maritime name in Melbourne. Uh, can I just uh, answer David uh, Craig uh, real quick? Yeah, please do. Because uh, uh, he asks, uh, does this mean the state-owned bottle shops will carry only some types of Nergner? but not others, weird uh, selectivity. So uh, what it means is that uh, all of our beers that we brew, there is six windows that we can release our beers uh, into. And uh, if it sells, it sells, uh, and then it will qualify into one of the categories. But we can always have all of our beers in there, uh, but it's uh, something called Bestillingsutvalgen. Uh, uh, so basically it will sit at the storage and then people can go online and order it, and it will get shipped to that special store. But it's not on the shelf. But all of our beers are are selected through uh, the Monopoly, yes. So everybody, all of our beers will be available through their website, but not necessarily on their shelf. But you can order it to any store that you want to. I think you can probably hear that in Australia we find that fascinating because it's such a different system to how we sell beers down here. So, yeah, well, we uh, like in Norway we have really, really strict alcohol laws. Uh, like we are not allowed to uh, do any commercials about beer. So all beer commercials on TV is banned. Uh, we are not allowed to sell any merch for example to anybody uh and uh, yeah it's super super strict uh, uh there's actually talks in the parliament now that uh, all breweries has to put a health uh, description on the bottles like cigarettes mm-hmm. that says that this might uh, be a cancer cancerous basically so it's super super strict and, and can uh, i ask a little bit out of ignorance but is that because of 
how beer is interpreted or is it more to do with the way that spirits consumed and i know perhaps more about finland and other parts of scandinavia than norway but i think of spirits being a far more problematic alcohol consumption uh, than beer i would basically say that it's uh, over many years uh we've always had the the christian party in government in norway and uh, they're a small party but this is their main case so to uh, to basically get the prime minister for a lot of years the smaller christian party would sit in government and they would dictate all these alcohol laws yeah they're not in, uh, in government right now so we are hoping that some laws will change because the alcohol law was written in to no, in uh, 1973 uh, so it's outdated so we are hoping that it will get updated soon because uh, uh, social media uh, was just added in 2015 and uh, uh, if it's Heineken or Brewdog or Carlsberg they can basically uh, put everything on social media and everybody in Norway will see it but we are not allowed to do it that was part of what that I think that's fascinating even on of itself it's uh just reflecting on some of the things you were saying earlier on it's just a completely different playing field if some of those big multinationals can come in and and do what they like yeah and you're you're fighting with one hand tied behind your back as we would say in australia and like when like yesterday when we went to the pub and and we saw uh real madrid uh, chelsea uh Everywhere on the field is Heineken, 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 Heineken. So, of mm. course, we get to see it. Um, but we are not allowed to even mention that we're one of the best breweries in the world and the, that, we've are, that we are the most awarded brewery in Norway's history. We're not allowed to tell anybody. But it does say things like that on the Visit Norway website, which I looked up yesterday. So it- that's press, basically. Uh, so they are allowed but we are not allowed as a brewery. So uh, we can send out press packets to all the newspapers and journalists, and they are allowed because then it's information and it's not a a sale that we are trying to uh, make people drink beer, basically. I understand. Look, I totally understand, but it's it's fascinating. There are similar things in Australia, but certainly not at that level at all. But shall we move on to the South Coast? Uh, Yes. the, The double dry hopped. American IPA. Can you, as we pour this into our glasses, whether we're in the Zoom room or whether we're in the podcast, perhaps you can just take us on a little tasting tour. If if you were standing in the bar with people having this in their glass, how would you ask them to interpret the the colour, the aromas, and the flavours they're going to be experiencing? So um, now in in the beer scene in Norway, uh, it's uh, dominated by New England India Pale Ales, which is not bitter. It's uh, it's like a hop juice in many ways. Um, We're very familiar uh, with the style. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, our, like I said earlier, our head brewer uh, is quite a traditionalist and uh, he likes his IPAs bitter. Uh, so uh, uh, a slogan around the brewery is to make IPAs bitter again. <laughs> and um, uh he wanted to do uh, a new indian pale ale but with uh fine bitterness to it so this actually has 60 ibus so it's quite bitter uh and uh we are at the south coast in norway so we yeah it's a west coast style beer but since we are on the south coast we 
decided to call it a South Coast because this is a traditional West Coast beer, but it's dry hopped with Australian hops uh, or Nelson Sauvin. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it plays along the side of the bitterness and the malt uh, sweetness from the West Coast. So it has that uh, reddish quite uh, uh, color. It should have a, a nice white uh, foam head when you pour it in, in the glass. Um, it's a beer that pairs excellent with pub grub food like pizzas and burgers and tacos, barbecue. Um it's seven seven and a half percent ABV, which is like the classical West Coast percentage, I would say. Uh, and it, but it drinks like a, a five percenter. It's an excellent, excellent beer. It's one of my personal favorites, and it's uh, taken over for our classic IPA. So this is the most sold IPA in Norway right now. Uh, is that, is that really, right? So which did it take over from, and why it, do you it think knocked, it's taken over? So it knocked our uh, classic IPA uh, off the top. Um, of course, two captains, the next beer we'll taste is uh, one of the top three as well. But um, uh, I think it's knocked our classic IPA off the top because it's it's newer and it's also dry hopped in a different way. So it gets more of that tropical flavor uh, and the, the Simcoe and the Nelson Sovin kind of uh, dominates in the the aroma on the nose. Uh, it's just uh, an updated version of a, uh, our classic, you know. Uh, you, you've mentioned a couple of the hops there, but how many different hops are in this? And can you talk us a little bit through that process as to how many hops go in on the the hot side and on the cold side as well with the dry hopping? So we use uh, Centennial uh, as our bitter hop. And then uh, we do uh, Centennial, Simcoe, and Nelson Sovin in the Whirlpool. And then uh, we also dry hop with Simcoe and Nelson Sovin after four days. And then we dry hop again after seven days with the same hops. Um, so, yeah, uh, Centennial as the bitter, bittering hop in the, in the boil, and then uh, in the Whirlpool, all three. And then we dry hop with Simcoe and Nelson. That sounds like a fairly expensive way to make a beer, particularly uh, what must be becoming a core range beer. Uh, I've, I've spoken to many brewers over the years who like to hop like that, but the owners of breweries don't often like to see that many hop additions and that, that much hopping. Obviously, the brewery is happy to, to make you know, beers that cost a lot of money to make in the first place. Uh, also with our, our malt base, like we use Maris Otter, but we also use Norwegian pale malt, which, which is really expensive. Uh, and um, uh, on our website, it used to say the uncompromising brewery. And uh, we have always said that better ingredients. Like it, let's say that you get a really nice piece of, uh, of a steak even a bad chef will make that taste good, right? So if you start off with excellent ingredients, the outcome will be even better. Um, so at, at the Nugna, we are only eight employees. So everybody from the brewers to the CEO to, to uh, me as, a, as a, a brand ambassador, we all are included in the decision-making. And our owners, as, as long as we... Uh, continue to be among the best in the world they 
they don't say anything. Uh, they don't come and say, hey, you can't dry hop this beer because they, they are a macro brewery. They're a Pilsner brewery. They don't know how to do these beers. So yeah, they, they let us do whatever we want, basically. Can I ask, just because I think it's fascinating, we've got breweries in Australia that would have five or six times the number of employees that you have and would consider themselves a very micro brewery. Um, how many litres a year do you produce with the uh, eight employees? Uh, we do around in-house uh, at the brewery, we do around 1.5 million litres. And then we brew around 500,000 litres at our sister's uh, brewery's facility because they have a canning line. Mm -hmm. So all of our grocery store beers, uh, so under 4.7 goes in 0.5 cans, uh, like the Blanc that uh, some of you yep. have uh, tasted already. We've a couple of those in the pack this time around, yeah. Yeah, so all of these are brewed at a different brewery because we don't have a canning line, basically. Uh, but so we outsource that and uh, also our warehouse is outsourced and uh, the sales team is outsourced so like uh, in the um, so we're only eight people working at Nugna, but of course we have a sales team that helps us out and stuff like that but they're not directly uh, employed by Nugna; they are employed by our owners uh, so we use their sales team so a lot of my job is to travel around Norway and uh, make sure that the nine salespeople at Hansa know our beer and push our beer. And so, yeah, I travel around and I do tastings and I also make sure that the sales team knows the beer. Um, so, yeah, we are only eight employees, but we have a, 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 a macro breweries uh, resources behind us and like the the IT department and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, we have a bigger unit behind us in a way. Uh, it, it's still just interesting to see how different breweries, you know, put together their, their teams and what they, what they do. And uh, I'm interested when, when you go out to sell this beer, perhaps not so much in Norway, but around the rest of the world, how do you describe it? And how would you want this beer thought of? I'll rephrase the question perhaps a little bit about, the inclusion of those Norwegian malts in particular, if you were trying to make a case for why this is a, a double dry hopped IPA that should be listed alongside American ones and Australian ones and English ones, what's distinctively Norwegian about this version? Well, of course, uh, one of the, <laughs> the main ingredients is in, in, in beer is water, right? And we have the best water in the world, I, I, I would boldly say. Uh, like take uh, the bottle of Voss, for example, it's, uh, it sells for 20 euros in, or $20 in, in New York. And that's just tap water from Christiansand, <laughs> you know, which is crazy. Uh, so what really makes this beer a Norwegian beer is that we use uh, Norwegian malts, that it's, uh, the, the grain is grown and malted in Norway. Uh, of course, the water profile, which is some of the best water in the world, um, that is the Norwegian essence of the beer. So the two main ingredients in this beer is from Norway. Um, and it uh, yeah plays on, on 
uh, our, our strengths uh, as a brewery that we are able to use local local uh, um, ingredients like that but it also it is a classic west coast uh, ipa and uh, the reason we've decided to use uh, nelson sovin in this beer is because the south and the south basically so that's why we made our own beer style which is a south coast ipa and not a west coast ipa yeah so because it's the it's from the australia and norway you know it's the south and south so yeah south coast it uh it tastes beautiful and someone was asking earlier on whether south coast is also a maritime themed name just because it has the word coast in it feel free to say it, yes or no we can get past that quickly but yeah, yeah, it's it's a maritime, of course, uh, it <laughs> is. Uh, but it's not all of our beers on the clean side that has the maritime maritime name, like uh, Sugar Rush or the Blanc or the Pilsner. Uh, so the Blanc is called forty eight eighty five, right? Mm -hmm. That's our area code, and our Pilsner ah, is called Riegner Pilsner, and that's the area name where the brewery is. So it's local themed. Our two white cans are local themed. A fun fact there is uh, our white cans comes in a six pack and our black cans is single can at the grocery stores. So ah, that's, that's why there's difference in color on them. And I've got to say again, it's just fantastic to have such a broad range of your beers available to us. So everyone who's on the call right now has at least 12, if not 16 different beers uh, from the brewery. You, an amazing you know, range of beers. Some brewers in Australia concentrate on one style or another. You really do do the full the full list. Yeah, we do. And that's one of our strengths because uh, we do a lot of different beer styles and we do them well. Like we do an excellent Pilsner, but we also do a barrel-aged sour that's been aged for, for 36 months on white wine barrels, which uh, is competing alongside with some of the best Belgian breweries. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely one of our strengths as a brewery that we have this vast uh, amount of different styles of beer and that we can do them all. How long have all the brewers been with the company? Are there, are there some who've been there from the beginning or have people come and gone and how does the brewery select who comes in to work with such a small team? Uh, so, uh, Ture Nibe, he has been here from the start. He was uh, one of the original shareholders. He uh, sold his uh, last year's last year to, to the larger brewery. Uh, and he has basically done everything at the, at the brewery. He has been a sales rep. He's been the CEO. He's been a brewer. He's been on the packaging line. He's done everything. Uh, unfortunately, two years ago, one of our brewers uh, got cancer and passed away three weeks ago. Uh, so then, uh, so then Ture, uh, thank you. Uh, uh, then uh, Ture stepped in as a brewer again. He's sixty-seven years old and he loves it. Uh, he comes in every day and uh, and brews and uh, the, most of the beers you're tasting now, it's Ture that has brewed. Um, and then um, we hired a new kid, uh, Yuai Kim. He's uh, the last addition to the team. Uh, he is uh, now taking over for Ture at the brew house. And the Ture is going back to the barrels, uh, which he loves to play uh, with. And then we have our head brewer, who is Ed. Um, but he usually doesn't brew that much. He sits at the office and, and makes the recipes and the signs and, and all that stuff. 
But um, uh, yeah, if if uh, Joachim or or uh, Tour is out sick, uh, Ed will uh, step in and run the brew house, um, and then uh, I do most of our collaborations. Uh, so I'll go to England or uh, Netherlands, Belgium to do collaborations because um, I'm the traveling uh, traveling guy. It sounds like you have the worst job of all. I mean, I, it must be awful to have to travel around the world. Uh, Drink beer brand. and get paid for it. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds terrible. It really does. Yeah. Uh, you may not be able to answer this question, but I, since Stuber's come back and he's got his hands on some of the big levers making those beers again, do you think that there's been beer styles or things that he's come back to at 67, which is pretty old for a, for a brewer in an you know, important brewery like yours? Are there things that he's excited about and you can see, you know, his styles coming back? Uh, Tula just loves, loves beer. Like he's been here since 2002 and uh, he is excited every day to, to be at the brewery and, and he doesn't write the recipes. Uh, it's, uh, it's Ed uh, that does the recipes. And one of our strengths is that, uh, if it's Tura or Joachim or Ed brewing the beer, the outcome will be the same. Uh, so he's an excellent brewer and he basically follows follows um, the recipe that Ed, Ed makes, uh, which is uh, really, really good. And while we all take a little break in the Zoom room live recording, uh, let me jump in here with a little message for you about some of the fun events that we have coming up in future weeks, we really hope that you can uh, jump online with us on our Zoom calls uh, and do so with the right beers in your hands. So check out our Shopify shop to make sure you can get the beers. Just Google Cool Room Podcast Shopify and you'll get to the shop and we can home deliver the beers we're going to be talking about uh, with breweries such as The Mill, uh, Woolshed Brewery, uh, the local brewing company, and just announced in the last 24 hours or so at the time that I'm editing this, we're going to have Wild Barrel on live from the US of A. That should be another fantastic episode. Jump onto the uh, Shopify and grab the beers. Find out more about the events on our Facebook. Now back to the show with Martin. So we're back with Martin Flip. We're here talking Nergner. Uh, is my pronunciation roughly okay? It's perfect. Uh, so that's what I like to hear. Even if you're not telling the truth, I'm glad you said that. We're back with the two captains. Now, nautical theme. This has to be a nautical name. Uh, no, uh, it's, ah! uh, it's, a, it's a quite a, it's a really cool beer. It's one of, of our favorites. It's, it's, a brew, it's a beer that we've had in, in our portfolio since 2010. Um, and the reason for the name two captains is uh so in norway we have the home brewing competition uh and the winner that the national winner of the home brewing competition uh was allowed to come to nogna and brew the beer so that we would sell it everywhere right that's wonderful and we do we did this for 10 years in a row uh but the original recipe that uh, the winner jan halvo fjell had was just a clone of Pliny the Elder. So when he won uh, the national homebrewing competition with the clone, he was allowed to come to Nogna and brew. But our head brewer said, 
at Nogna, we don't do any clones. We make our own beers. Yes, you have won the right to brew a beer at Nogna, but we're not doing a clone. That's not uh, up for discussion. So me and you can sit down and we can make a new recipe uh, together and then release that beer. Is that okay by you? And he was like, fine. The funny thing is, both of them were airline pilots for SAS. So that's where the name comes in, two captains, because they were actually two airline captains, both of them. Um, so we released it in 2010, and uh, the winner gets released one time and one time only. That's what we've always done. And, and um, people started sending mails and calling us like, where is two captains? Why, why is it not available anymore? Uh, and we tried to explain it, and but people wouldn't have it. It's like, no, you got to bring that beer back. So we called uh, Jan Halvo and asked him if it's okay if we brewed it again. And he said, yes, that's fine. Uh, do what you want. And it's, yeah, been our, in our core range since, since then, 2011. Uh, and it's uh, one of our best sellers. And it's also an omen to, to the homebrewing community of Norway. Which has been so important for for all these beers in Norway coming out, um, and we have a really good relationship with home brewers. Like, uh, if they need yeast or hops or bottles or anything, they can come up to the brewery, and they usually do on Fridays, okay. uh, and and pick up stuff. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, a lot of the breweries, the two hundred uh, plus breweries in Norway, are mo- most of them are started by home brewers. So yeah, it's super, super important. Um, I, uh, I love do. that answer. That wasn't, can I, I promise that wasn't the answer I was expecting at all. Uh, but you've taught us so much about the brewery and the ethos just of just in that one answer. And you've also told me that I should be worried about getting on planes because apparently every pilot appears to be a home brewer and or drinker. Should I be worried about getting on a on a plane, you know, coming out of Norway? Uh, not at all, not at all. Uh, another little fun fact there is uh, when Shetil, uh, he was when he was the airline pilot. Uh, in the beginning, he he smuggled with uh, him the grain to Norway to brew the beers. But then when we set up the brewery, he uh, instead of of uh, uh, bringing grain from the US, he started flying Nogna beers to the US in his cabin <laughs> suitcase. So whenever he went to a beer bar in New York, he would uh, buy a beer and leave a Nogna like every time he was there. And then like the bartender's like, oh, come on, like this guy's here all the time. Like uh, we should uh, get the Shelton brothers down here to see if this is actually quite good or and if, if we should start selling it. So that's how we got in contact with Shelton brothers in 2004. And they asked if they could uh, uh, sell us exclusively in the U.S. Um, and uh, that's how we uh, grew because we got that contract in the U.S. and uh, ended up uh, moving here. So, yeah, smuggling beers to the U.S. That's uh, <laughs> that's how we got in there. Now, I'm going to be honest. I don't know the Shelton brothers. Perhaps other people in the room are far more knowledgeable than I am. But can you tell us just a little bit of that story? And then I so, want to Shel- ask about your history in Australia because you've been here for a long time as well. 
Um, so uh, the Shelton brothers was uh, importer uh, into the U.S. So they imported Nögner, Cantillo, Weinstefano. That uh, they have a, a lot of these uh, European uh, breweries coming into the U.S. But unfortunately, they went uh, they shut down during the pandemic, and then uh, one of the brothers uh, started a new one called Lime Ventures in California. So we are with them now. But the same in Australia. Uh, uh, he flew to Australia and uh, got in contact with people down there. Uh, and then uh, we met Lars uh, at uh, Phoenix Beers and he started importing us. And then we did two excellent, excellent beers with uh, Bridge Road Brewers. Excellent. Uh, so you've, you've got to the part of the conversation I wanted to get to because there's a few Victorian breweries that you're good mates with. Tell us about the ones with Bridge Road, and then we'll talk a bit more from there. So we did two different, or uh, we actually did three beers with with uh, Bridge Road. Um, so we did uh, Aurora Borealis and Aurora Australis. So we brewed one beer in Norway and shipped it on a boat down to Australia. And then we did one in Australia and shipped that to Norway. So uh, the Aurora Australis uh, was in Norway and the Aurora Borealis was sold in Australia. And then we also did uh, Indian uh, Indian Saiso uh, with the Bridge Road as well. Uh, we actually did a relaunch of that uh, two years ago, I think. Um, so yeah, that's uh, uh, what we've done with, with uh, Bridge Road. Uh, excellent brewers. Um, they do some amazing beers. And quite similar to Nogna in styles and, and they do a lot of different types of beers. And then uh, of course we have Exit Brewing also from Melbourne. Uh, we were down there in October 19 and did uh, the Dark Horizon 6 release with Fraser at uh, Exit. Um, and uh, the next time we come down, we'll definitely try and, and do a collaboration with, with Exit Brewing. That would be a lot of fun. They are good friends of, of the brewery and uh, some of our our good friends are really good mates with with Fraser, so hopefully we'll do that. And I met some really really uh, nice guys up in in uh, Brisbane as well, so uh, we might uh, do a collaboration up there as well the next time we come down. It, uh, it's it's always exciting for Australians to hear that we're on the radar in other parts of the world. It's one of those things. But um, you've named a couple of breweries there which are very much friends of this podcast and. Um, it would be awesome to have all of you guys in one place at one time. I'm sure all of the people in the Zoom room will be uh, will be along to be part of that event. If it's a public event, and if we find out that you've just landed in the country, we're going to come along and make it a public event, even if it's yeah. uh, not official. Yeah, the next time we're coming down for sure. Um, when we when I was down there last time, there was the Oktoberfests uh, going on, so it wasn't that easy to set up the event. But uh, the guys at Exit is like, oh, of course we're we are gonna do this. So we did a tasting, and um, it was a private uh, event uh, that Fraser invited. I think twenty five people, and we were up at the bar. Um, so that was a uh, that was a lot of fun. So yeah, big shout out to to Fraser and the guys at Exit for hosting us. That was uh, that was excellent. They're excellent people, as are the people from Kaiju. Everyone out in Dandenong, we love dearly. We're going to get to some audience questions in a minute, so type those in, team. We've got a couple more questions before we get to that. And um, I guess we've just been talking about the importance of home brewers and how people come into this industry. Um, 
I imagine pretty much everyone listening to this podcast would love to have your job. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've come into this job? Were you, when you were 10 years old, saying, Mum, Dad, I want to go and become a brand ambassador for the one of the coolest breweries in the world? Or how did it happen for you? Uh, it's quite a, a fun story. Um, so... Uh, growing up, I grew up in in uh, in uh, on the west coast of Norway, uh, and um, uh, as a thirteen year old, I started working in the in the restaurant industry as a dishwasher, mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, I did a summer job as uh, as a server waiter uh, to make some more money. Uh, I didn't really have a, a strong passion for it at at the time because I was a juggler. So uh, I, I put in all my hours into juggling. Um, and then uh, in, when I was done with my, my uh, time in the Navy in Norway, it's mandatory to do one year in, in the military in Norway mm-hmm. uh, at the age of 18. Uh, so when I was done with uh, my time in the Navy, I, uh, I flew to the U.S. to do a six-week uh, uh, training program with Cirque du Soleil in in uh, Florida, and when I was in Florida, I went and visited Disney and uh, discovered that they actually have a Norwegian restaurant in Disney at, at the Epcot Center in Florida. So they needed Norwegian staff. Uh, so I applied and got the job in the Good. Norwegian restaurant. There's there's so many questions I want to ask, and I'm not going to ask them all. But what does the Norwegian restaurant at Epcot look like so it's a uh, it's built up uh, there's a store a restaurant and a ride so the ride is frozen uh and then uh, the restaurant is uh traditional norwegian food and everybody wears the the bunads the traditional norwegian costume and then there's the store that sells the the, the heli hansen and akvit and the chocolate and, and stuff like that and uh, there's a little staff church and it's built like this a southern type of of uh norwegian town and it's norway is one of uh, 11 countries around the lake in the world showcase at epcot um so yeah i, I got the job there and then uh, as a server and disney uh, trained me in wine so i got a a um, real passion for wine when I worked at Disney. And then uh, after three years in Disney, I uh, was headhunted into uh, a, a space in Oslo um, at Maltal in Oslo, where I worked with wine. And when I moved to Oslo, I moved into an apartment with with three girls. And in that apartment was the daughter of Tore Nibe, our brewer, and also at that time owner of the brewery. And uh, through Ingebjörg, I discovered craft beer, and uh, then I got a job offer from a different brewery, uh, and basically came home and told her, and and she basically told me that if I took that job, I would have to move out, or I could start at Nögne. Uh, <laughs> so I started at Nögne, uh, and uh, yeah, that's almost seven years ago. So that's how I ended up in in the, the beer industry. Um, and uh, yeah, absolutely love it. It's uh, I've worked a lot with uh, food pairings, so, so wine and food in, in 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 pairings, but with beer, it's just like the selection of beer is so massive, and it's so much more fun to play with beer and food. Uh, 
than it was with wine because um, you can hit all sorts of different elements if it's a porter or if it's an IPA or a sour there's so uh, it's a real passion of me, uh, mine to do pairings with food uh, and it, yeah uh, so yeah it's, I kind of stumbled into the beer scene uh, through friends and I've been at Nurgner now for seven years and it hasn't been one day that I've woken up and said, Ugh, I got to go to work today. Like it's, it's a passion and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not a lot of people in the world that are fortunate enough to work with, with their passion and their hobby as well. So I absolutely love it. Uh, it's sometimes lonely because I travel a lot, but uh, yeah, uh, I couldn't have asked for a, a better job. And since I'm a juggler and love to be on the stage, I get to do that at the, as a beer rep as well, because I can do the my show when I'm in front of an audience and I can wave my hands around and I can be the center of attention on uh, on stage. I'm a, an, a, a basically an attention whore. I love people watching me and listening to me. So I get to do both of my passions. Uh, yeah, it's it's excellent. I, I feel very much kindred spirits here, my friend. It's uh, it, I can understand a lot of what you're saying there. It's um, it must be wonderful. But to represent this brand in particular and that wide range of things, you have a perspective on the world beer market that perhaps many other people don't. Which trends do you see coming and going? We touched on that earlier, but where do you think things are going to be going in the next four or five years? Uh, so this is uh, this has been a strength for Nogna, uh that we uh, focus on what we are thinking it's going to happen, and what we see the trends in Norway now it's low alcohol, non-alcohol uh, beers are flying off the shelf. So we have a, a strong focus on our alcohol-free beers that sells really really well, especially in in Finland, Sweden, and Norway. Uh, and uh, lower ABV around 3% are really, really taking off. So we are, are experimenting with that. It's also focused on, on uh, of course, local sourced ingredients all over the world. Um, so we, we uh, try and use as much Norwegian ingredients in our beers as possible. And uh, yeah, uh, the trend that is coming sooner or later to Norway as well is, of course, seltzers. Oh, and, uh, yeah. and all Dangerous these breweries <laughs> and all these breweries in Norway uh, are trying to do craft seltzers. Uh, we in uh, Nørgnø have basically said that's not our cup of tea. We are a beer brewery and not a seltzer brewery. So. Uh, I might have to bite these uh, words in a couple of years, but yeah, we are not going to do a seltzer at Nogno. That's not our cup of tea uh, at all. Um, so uh, we have our owner, Hansa. They can do their uh, their seltzer. They're a microbrewery. Let them have it. There's no need for us to even think about it. Uh, the only time I've had a seltzer is uh, Sunday morning if I've been uh, really drinking hard uh, the next uh, or the Saturday before. Wake up, crush a seltzer to get up on top again. Yeah, I've done that. Uh, and that's the only use I've have had for it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's not something we at Nogna will do. No, uh, uh, I can see why there's a market for it. 
it's because of the no uh, no low uh, and uh, low calorie stuff like that but uh yeah it's, it's um uh if you ever meet a sales rep without a bear belly you shouldn't trust him basically <laughs> <laughs> we we love little phrases that we can put on t-shirts that yeah. is one that we should put on a t-shirt i think that would sell very well in australia yeah <laughs> We're, we've got, it's we're like gonna, you wouldn't trust you wouldn't trust a skinny chef as well, right? No, that's exactly right. You, that's it's the same principle. We we yeah. are very much on the same page here, my friend. Uh, I've got really only one important question left, and hopefully it makes sense. Um, we're called the cool room because the big fridges in pubs and you know breweries are the things that break down. That's a little peek behind the scenes at what it's really like to work. You know, at you know, ten o'clock in the morning on a Monday in a brewery uh, or in a pub. What's it like? You know, have you got any behind-the-scenes stories? What's the strangest thing you've ever seen in a cool room or a pub or a brewery? Um, when I read that question, uh, the first thing I thought about was uh, when I was ten years old. I celebrated my birthday party at a McDonald's in Norway, and we were locked into the fridge. And uh, no, no, I think this is good. We very rarely have 10 year old stories. Do go on, yeah. So, we, uh, me and my birthday, uh, we were six guys in my class, and we uh, got a tour of the kitchen and we managed to lock ourselves into the fridge. Um, uh, and yeah, that's uh, my first memory of, of a cool room uh, in a way. Um, uh, you, you obviously got out eventually. Oh, yeah, yeah. How <laughs> long did it take to get out, and how uh, scared oh. were you in the meantime? No, we had fun. We played around in there. Uh, I think we were in there for like 10 minutes until they figure out how we had managed to lock the door and stuff. But uh, yeah, that's my fir- very first memory of, of being in a, in a cool room. Uh, of course, um, I worked at Disney, like I said. Mm. And uh, we had uh, this cool room there as well where we stored all the milk. Uh, and it was like... <laughs> 20 liters plastic bags of milk and uh i remember i was in a hurry uh because i i had changed the milk and i dragged this thing and it ripped and I, yeah i just built 20 liters of milk on on me and i had a full restaurant and yeah i was uh, mayhem uh now, that wasn't pleasant I, at all if, if we publish anything about disney are we going to be sued or should no. we just no, that that should be fine. Uh, there's no uh, no secrets uh, that I've uh, uh, said out loud here. Uh, there's so only what one Mickey Mouse. Can you tell us that I can edit out? That's the next bit. You know, what do uh, they for do Disney. with the milk? Is the milk from? Is it mice that they milk? What's happening? That, you know? <laughs> no, nothing like that. It's uh, Disney for a reason is the biggest uh, service uh, industry in, in the world, and they do. They do excellent, excellent work, um, but they train us. Like when when you start your job at Disney, uh, they train you for a week at Disney University until before you're even allowed to talk to guests. So they train you on how to pick up stuff. They train you how to point, how to answer. Uh, you're not allowed to say the word no, for example. Um, do people we, fail? Oh, this is genuinely, I'm, you know, I am going on a tangent here, but... Do people fail after one day or two days? Do people get told, no, you're not right for Disney? Uh, sometimes, yes. Uh, if they don't follow the, 
the company guidelines. Uh, like when I was there, um, men weren't allowed to have a beard, only a mustache. They've changed that rule now because uh, everybody was supposed to look like 1950s. Uh, so the females weren't allowed to have uh, nail polish or hanging earrings and stuff like that. It's super strict on how you are presented to to yep. the people. Um, but they train you really, really, really well, especially in the, as a server. They like they will, will time you and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like uh, that here in the call room. It took me five or seven years behind the scenes before I was allowed to start to conduct interviews. So okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it, it was a really, really good job at Disney, uh, for sure. Uh, I learned so much there. Uh, tattoos uh, weren't allowed. Uh, any visible tattoos weren't allowed at all. Um, if you had tattoos, uh, you would have to have a long sleeved shirt on and stuff like that. So no visible tattoos uh, were allowed at all. We fit that that to many of us in Australia feels like a million miles away. So it's, I we find your story fascinating in terms of back and forward into an industry now where I presume, uh, you know, in Australia everyone has a beard, everyone has yeah. tattoos, everyone sort of you know knocks around like that. So in Norway as well, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's uh, but it was fun, um, for sure. Uh, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed my time there. Uh, I learned a lot. Uh, they're super strict, um, but the work ethics is is something we as Norwegians should adopt for sure. Uh, and yeah, the passion for for the job, without a doubt. Yeah, no, and similarly in Australia, when you deal with people who've learned overseas, by which out of Australia service culture, it's amazing how Australian hospitality has things to learn. Yeah, that's the same as Norwegian, <laughs> for sure. Um, um, we're going to move towards wrapping things up very soon. But yep. before I hand over, and we've got two questions. I've got one question from James, one question from Muggs, which means we have one audience question left. But behind the scenes, we've touched on the effects of COVID in Norway and Australia. But um, I found it genuinely fascinating as an Australian to hear how the Norwegian government dealt with uh, alcohol sales during the COVID lockdowns or the COVID time. Can you talk us through a little bit of that? It's a very different experience to ours. Uh, so when it first uh, hit in, in March of uh, 2020, we the entire world really didn't know what was going on. Um, so we did a full lockdown uh, in Norway. So everything was closed. Uh, and then uh, they allowed restaurants to be open, uh, but there was uh, the meter and uh, you had to be uh, so-and-so, you were only allowed so and so many people in the room at one time, but they banned all alcohol sale. So you couldn't go to a restaurant and have your steak and get a glass of beer or a glass of wine because uh, their thought was, oh, Norwegians, they love their alcohol. If they have more than three glasses, they'll get drunk and they'll start hugging people. And because we are... Uh, we are a cold people. Uh, we don't usually talk to anybody uh, unless we've had three beers. Uh, so uh, a saying in Norway was, oh, we hope the meter gets removed so we can go back to our, our usual three meters. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, it's uh, so they blocked all all beer sales uh, up uh, above two and a half percent, which is a light beer in Norway. So all these breweries started doing light beers, and uh, yeah, sales of light beers just skyrocketed. But the main thing that happened was they closed the border, and eighty percent of the Norwegian population lives around or less than two hours from the Swedish border. And Sweden has a lot lower alcohol uh, tax. And so uh, a beer in in Sweden is almost half the price of a beer in Norway. So everybody goes to Sweden to buy their beer. But during COVID, the border was closed. So everybody had to buy their beers in Norway. So all of our breweries in Norway just saw a skyrocketing in, in, in volume. So we started selling so much beers in the grocery stores and at the Vine Monopoly. So it, it it was uh when I first got uh when it first hit everybody was uh, furloughed at the brewery and then the summer came and we were allowed to sell beers again and then when the new restrictions came in the in the winter instead of because uh, we made so much money instead of of uh, furloughing me again uh, my CEO said well we want to of course help you and and so they retrained me in production so I was in the production uh, for a year uh, to yeah to keep me employed and not put me on furlough. So of course that was excellent, and I'm really happy that I have such a good employer that did that for me. And since I was able to work in production and close to the brewers, I learned so much more about uh, the industry, and uh, that uh, I as a sales rep and a brand ambassador can be a pain in the ass when I'm out talking to customers. Comes. Because I could go like, oh, it's so easy. Yeah, of course we can do that beer for you guys. And then I didn't think about the production side of how much of a hassle it is for them to do a thousand bottles with his own label because they have to redo everything. But I was trained there for years. And now when I'm out talking to customers, I actually know a lot more about it. So that was a a really good time for me as well to learn. Um, And when we talked about the cool room, the first thing I did when I started in production uh, was that I uh, broke 18,000 bottles. See, this is the story. This is exactly the kind of story we love in a behind the scenes story. How did you do so, that? Um, we have the empties before we fill the beers. We have it in storage and it's two layers. So we have the, the 0.5 bottles at the bottom and we have the 33s at the top. So uh, it gets delivered and I had to do the, the forklift and lift it up and put them on top. And I did it the wrong way. So I started on the right and it hit a wire in the roof and it fell off the truck. And then it, which is a domino effect. So it dragged all the other uh, things down over our packaging line. And yeah, I broke 18,000 bottles in one go. Um, uh, and uh, and uh, everybody at the brewery heard, of course, because there was a big bang. So everybody came running uh, to, towards me to see if if I was okay. Uh, and they saw all the balls. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, oh, I'm going to get fired. Like, this is oh, what's going on. Uh, and then everybody uh, in the brewery basically started laughing and said, we have all done this. Exactly. So now you are officially a part of the team. 
but you have, of course, the record because the other guys were like maybe 5,000 bottles, but I did 18,000. <laughs> so I have the record of most bottles broke uh, in, in the brewery. But uh, yeah, I was really afraid that, that I was going to lose my job because there's a lot of money that I broke. Uh, but everybody, including the CEO, just started laughing. It's like, yeah, this just means you're one of the production guys, you know. So uh, they all helped me up and we had to stop production for three hours to clean up all the glass. And uh, yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, I'm re- perfect, really happy. That's they... exactly the kind of story that we we've everyone in the Zoom room tonight has done that in one way or another. Yeah, in different industries, that's exactly what the cool room is about: is telling those stories. So yeah, uh, so then then I was officially one of the team, and I got to uh, get to know the the guys on the production line a lot better, uh, and it helped me in in my position at the brewery as well uh to definitely become one of the guys because i've been here for seven years but i traveled so much but the two years under the pandemic i was actually at the brewery and working with all everybody every day so yeah it really really helped uh, me personally and uh, just to be a, a part of the team in a different way it was it was great a great experience for me and to learn a different side of the brewery as well you, you said before that you'd started saying no to venues and to people you used to say yes to because of your experience. Do you have an example of a time in the last six months that you've said no uh, where before you would have said yes? Uh, uh, like in in um, in regards of tastings and stuff like that? Or, or just to a business that said, we want this, we want a thousand bottles of this. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, like that. Um, yeah, it's... Um... Because now I I know a lot more about uh, the production side of it. So instead of like, I of course want to increase my sales. So I don't necessarily say no, but I'll say, okay, you will have to wait six or seven months until we actually have a week or two of production of the 33 bottles. And then we can slot you in. Uh, but I won't go, oh, you'll have it in, in two months. Like I'll, I'll actually go in and look at the production schedule and place it where it belongs and not put the extra strain on the on the guys in production so instead of just saying oh of course we're going to do it i'll actually talk to the guys in production and say hey when can i slot this in when is it best for you guys and let them say okay uh, in august uh, we'll have a a slot with the, the blonde 33s and then we can do your thousand bottles because then they don't have to use the whole day to uh, rebuild uh, the bottling line to fit the little bottles and stuff like that so yeah so i don't say no it just uh i'll i'll I'll, uh put it in the correct time slots yes good answer we're going to start to open up the zoom room now for some audience questions james you've got a question on those lines although it's got nothing to do with beer whatsoever mate no, it's completely random, Martin. And I've loved all the beers so far, and I'm looking forward to demolishing the the other ones that are left in my box here. But um, thanks so much for your time. But I have a question about um, uh, Nordic Noir, which is one of the things I love. Um, and so I love detectives. Are you talking like about bug... our beer, Nordic Noir, now? Or are no, you talking I'm about... talking about detectives like Bug oh, okay. and... Uh, Mart, Mart, uh, Harry Hawley and all these yeah, other pieces. Hawley. And I wanted to know if you had someone in Grimstad who is a famous detective and if you thought about some sort of like 
integrating your beer into some randoms books? Uh, so, uh, no, not necessarily. In, in Grimstad, we have uh, Knut Hamsun, which is an, a world-famous author and uh, who, who, who was here. He was actually jailed here after the Second World War because he was a Nazi sympathizer. Um, and then uh, Henrik Ibsen, of course. So we, some of our beers that we do here, down here, uh, we will uh, use elements from Ibsen in our beers. Uh, so we did uh, a collaboration uh, two years ago with a beer called El Sofia. And uh, that's the name of the, the, the maid that uh, Ibsen knocked up when he was 14. <laughs> so um uh, uh that's when that's when he left Gimsta actually he because uh, he uh, didn't he wasn't ready to be a father so he left and went to Sheehan after that uh so yeah we we definitely use um use elements of the local history but we don't have the Harihulas or the detective scenes uh, down here um, but our name comes from the Talia Vegan poem, who was a sailor. So, uh, yeah, we've, we definitely use uh, a lot of Ibsen in our, our uh, names and our history when we talk about beers and stuff like that. But I, I you think touched that's an about... accolade, though. I was just going to say that, you know, obviously it's a crime-free part of Norway. So that's really promising for visitors. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, there's not a lot of crime down here uh, at all. Maybe somebody will break a window and stuff like that, and it will be in the newspaper. Um, <laughs> but uh, you touched on on a beer called Nordic Noir uh, as well, because we have a beer called Nordic Noir. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to do this, but hang on. I'll two secs. Oh, we'd love this scoop. For those who are listening on the podcast, uh, Martin has just run away from his microphone to go and do something. And I'm going to go and get a screenshot of it. So, you know, this, this could end in all sorts of, you know, trouble for us. But this is the 8.27 p.m. scoop Australian time. But this will be the scoop, you know, at half past 12 in the afternoon, Norwegian time. Here he is. He's so back on. We didn't say anything while he was gone. So we, uh, of course, have Dark Horizon, which is uh, the beer that made us world famous. But we have started doing a Norwegian version of Dark Horizon, which we have called Nordic Noir. So this is Nordic Noir number two that's coming out in October. But the cool thing is, so this is the clean version. And then we'll also do this. Oh, that looks amazing. And then that's not all. We are also doing this. Now, is it... So, so there will be cherry three... barrels? Am I right in reading that properly? Correct. So we'll actually do three different versions of the Nordic Noir. We'll do the clean version, the whiskey version, and the sherry uh, version. So there will actually be three, but it's all the same beer. It's just aged differently. And are we going to get those in Australia? Uh, yeah, that's up to Phoenix Pierce, but I hope so. I hope that as well. And um, I'd love even just to have you on the show for half an hour one night to talk us through those three beers next to each other. How big were those cans? Uh, so this is just the vessel. Uh, and then inside the, the vessel, ah, the... Uh, there will be a 33 bottle, basically. Yeah. So you've, desi you've designed a special container that doesn't fit in any of our normal packaging. That's, yes, that's exactly. wonderful. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's excellent to store your pasta in afterwards. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, and you also get the beer coaster on top there as well. That... Uh, I I, I want to make uh, the beer coaster into a, a bottle opener as well. Uh, but yeah, we'll see if we can make that happen. Make it happen, brother. That that would yeah. be amazing. Uh, you've been with us for two hours tonight, which is incredibly generous. Uh, I am genuinely excited to have had you on the show tonight. We hope you can get you back many, many times. Uh, the people who are in the Zoom room, uh, I know are appreciative and will give a little round of applause. Uh, but the hundreds and thousands who listen on the podcast around the world, even more so, um, your brewery does amazing work. We envy you your job and we hope you love it. And please pass on to the other seven people that make Nugna Ur happen just how much we love the beers. And um, thank you so much for being a part of the show tonight. Thank you. It, it was uh, excellent. Uh, I really enjoy uh, your your podcast. It's uh, it's one of definitely one of the best uh, beer podcasts out there. Uh, so it's uh, uh, like my podcast. Uh, it's more about uh, fooling around and uh, and uh, playing around with beers. But uh, I really enjoy your podcast because uh, you uh, like when the one you did with Wine Stefano. It's so technical and it's so cool to be be uh, hearing uh, directly from the breweries uh, i really enjoyed the one with uh, with wine stefan uh, we import wine stefan to norway so we have a close relationship with them as well uh, they are they are coming up here to do a collaboration in june so that's going to be great um, so yeah uh, thank you for uh, an excellent excellent uh, podcast uh, we are honored to be a part of it and the next thing we're going to have is your podcast ads in our podcast and maybe vice versa. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Martin, thank you very much. We're going to sit back in Melbourne, Australia and drink the other 13 beers that we have from you. <laughs> maybe not in one go. Thank you, brother. You've been very generous. Thank you. <laughs>